So let's turn to the book of Habakkuk. Yes, there is a book in the Bible named Habakkuk, and uh, it's in the Old Testament. Take your time, because I'm going to do a little introduction. Find it. It's not Haggai. There is a Haggai, and then there is a Habakkuk. It's right next to Zephaniah. I know that will help you a lot, but um, it's there. Trust me. You guys that uh, have iPhones, it's kind of easy for you, because you just pop it in and do it in your app, but it's there. We're going to look at Habakkuk today and next week. Starting on October 1st, we're going to do a five-week study called Seek First. I'll explain it more next week, but we're going to be uh, doing a devotional together, all of us working together, and really understanding what God has to speak in the whole area of what does it mean to seek first? Seek first his kingdom, seek first things, and we're going to uh, be doing that together, and we'll have a 20-day devotional that we'll all do in the middle of that. There's five Sundays in October, so we'll take five weeks and look at that. So these two weeks interim, we were in Micah last week, Habakkuk today, and next Sunday, and then we'll start Seek First as well. As I said a few moments ago, Habakkuk is one of the unique books of the Bible. In the Old Testament, there are 39 books, and all of them but two is God speaking to people. God speaking to a man, to a woman, to a team, to the beginning, to whatever, right? Genesis, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And God starts to speak and things start to happen. And God creates man and woman and all these things. And then he calls out Abraham in uh, chapter 12 and off it goes. And the whole Bible is about God speaking to humanity except for two books. And that's the book of Job, where Job speaks to God. We're not going to, I'm going to come back to that a little later, just for a moment. And the book of Habakkuk, and where he speaks to God and makes God respond to him. Usually God speaks to us and asks us to respond to him, right? I, we hear God's word and we respond. We do that. Well, in the case of Habakkuk, it's three short chapters, and we're going to look at chapter one and part of chapter two, and then next week, the rest of chapter two and chapter three. So it only takes 15 minutes to read the whole book. That's how long it is, five minutes per chapter. So if you could read it before, don't read it now, because you could read it while I'm talking, but read it afterwards tonight or during the weekend. It would really be good if you read it a couple of times, read it in one sitting, and read it a couple of times in a sitting each time as well. It's about a storm, not a literal storm, but a metaphoric storm. There is a problem that's occurring in Israel at this time. It's 700 years before Christ, and everybody is going against God. The country is going terrible. The whole country, and we're going to hear the complaint about that. And I want to ask you a question because we as Americans and those, there are many online who are watching from all over the world, but we as Americans tend to think that God is going to protect us from the storms. We have this thing like, um, I dodged a bullet. I didn't have to go through the storm. God took me around the storm. I didn't have to go through it. He got to jump me across it. We have all these sayings. But the rest of the world, when you talk to people, they're not asking God to take them around the storm. They're asking God to be with them through the storm. And you and I need to realize that you are not less spiritual if you're in a storm. The whole Bible is all about storms. And I don't mean 
real rainstorms. I'm talking about issues and problems. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been through a storm? Raise your hand. Well, if you're an adult, you have, haven't you? The rest of you are going, what's a storm? And you're probably thinking about lunch or something. All of us have. Now, let me ask the question. And if you don't want to raise your hand, you don't have to. But how many are going through a storm right now? Dozens, probably a hundred, maybe more than a hundred. Yes, here's the reality. The reality is either you're going to get into a storm soon, you're in the storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. I mean, there are storms everywhere. It is an amazing thing. And like, it's amazing because in Florida, we have these incredibly difficult storms, right? And you have a choice when you get in a Florida rain storm. So let's go physical for a minute. You have a choice. Your choice is when you're driving on the turnpike and that rain cells there, you can stop and get under an embankment and hope for the best, or you got to work your way through it, or you'll be there for a long time. The reality is the storm may only be two miles long, and you could be out of it in two minutes, or you're sitting in it immobilized for hours, because it's just kind of sitting there, right? And here's the thing with regular storms, like rainstorms, we rely on our sight, our abilities, our anti-lock brakes, all those things that, you know, anti-skid things that now are on these cars. But in real storms, we need to rely on God. And this is a story about that. So let me introduce the story. The story is about five nations. There are five nations in this part of the Bible. First is Egypt. Egypt was the great land of Egypt, the pyramids, the pharaohs, all of those things, right? We're familiar with it. They are not in this story right at this moment because they had just been defeated. Then there's Syria, the great Syrian nations that we have heard about, and there's all these kings. I won't bore you with the kings of Syria that I love to study and look at and walk on the stones of their old places. But they've been defeated, so they're not in the story of Habakkuk. They're in the story of the prophets, but not particularly Habakkuk. And then there are the Babylonians. This is the story of the Babylonians. They're also called the Chaldeans, C-H, Chaldeans. So sometimes they're called Chaldeans, sometimes Babylonians, sometimes the people of Babylon. These are the people in the story. And then there are the Persians that will come a little later after Habakkuk, and they're in the story. And of course, there's Israel. So think about it. There's Israel, Egypt, Syria, Babylon is Iraq, and Persia is Iran. Israel, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Iran. What is this? You read the newspaper when you get back or read your newsfeed, you're going to be reading about Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and Israel. Nothing has changed. It's, they're in the same location. It's the same people group. In fact, there's this huge movement between Syria, Iraq, and Iran and what they're all doing. I mean, if, unless your head is in the sand, you realize that the global forces are um, arranging, and they're arranging with these three nations at the middle of it. And of course, Israel, Egypt is kind of quiet right now, but four of the five that are in this storyline are very active right now in our world economy. It's very amazing. So the story now is about Israel. The story in Habakkuk is Israel and the Babylonians. So the others are not in it right at this moment in time. So there's two complaints that Habakkuk 
puts against God. Can you, I want you to write these complaints down. Two complaints. And the complaint number one is, God, you are not doing anything. God, write it down. You are not doing anything. Inactivity, if you just want one word. Inactive. God is inactive. And Habakkuk is raising his finger and saying, God, you are inactive. I'll tell you why he says that in a moment. Complaint number two. God starts doing a bunch of stuff, and he goes, God, I don't like what you're doing. You think I'm kidding. This is, you're going to read it in just a moment. Number one, inactivity against God. Number two, activity against God. I don't want to be non-active, but I don't like what he's doing. So how do you win there? Have you ever complained to God? Be honest. I'm, I'm hearing a rumble, but come on. Be a little Pentecostal for just one moment and say, yes. Okay. We complain, don't we? And some of us complain at what God's not doing, and some of us complain about what God's doing, and some of us complain about both. You're not doing it. Complain, complain, complain. You're doing it. Complain, complain, complain. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, verse 2 to 4. This is complaint number 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Right, there's the complaint. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth, for the wicked surrounds the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Here's the problem. The whole nation is going to hell. This is what's happening, and there's only a few righteous, and Habakkuk's in this kind of place going, I think I'm the only righteous guy in the whole country left. And God, you're not doing anything about it. That's the complaint. So the Lord answers him. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. Habakkuk, just open your eyes for a moment and just see what I've been doing. For I, the, the last half of verse 5, you got to underline this. This is one of the best verses in the Bible. Not the best, but one of them. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if even I told you. God is doing a work in our lives, and we don't even know it. And he goes, even if I told you it, you're not going to understand it. So you're going to have to trust me. Because he lives, we too shall live. Trust me that what I am doing is right. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, right, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwelling not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. This is not the answer he wanted. This is not the answer he wanted. Why? Because 
God was sending the enemy to solve their problems. Babylon, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are the enemy, the fierce enemy of Israel. Just like Egypt was the enemy, Syria was the enemy, Persia will be the enemy, Greece will be the enemy after that, Rome will be the enemy after that. They're all enemies of Israel, but now we're in this Chaldean thing, and they are particularly fierce. And God says, I'm solving your problem, and I'm going to send the Chaldeans to solve it. So go to verse 12, the second complaint. Are you not from everlasting? Now, here's interesting about this complaint. I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever tried to butter up God? Like, God, you're true, you're honest, you're great. You hate them, don't you? Rain judgment on them, rain blessing on me, right? You're buttering him up. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors that's the Babylonians and the bad people, and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. So here's the picture. And if my English teachers can go like this, bad people are being judged by badder people. We want good people to judge bad people, don't we? But here he has badder people, more evil people, judging the evil people in the country. And Habakkuk wants none of it, none of it. And I can see why, because they're the evil ones. Now, let's turn over to chapter two. And what I wanna do with this, I wanna bring this 2,700 years forward and then go back. We're gonna go 2,700 years to today, back to then, back to today. So I'm, I'm kind of putting one foot in today and one foot in this crisis. Can we do that? Because I think we need to kind of understand it as we're going. But when you're going through a storm like Habakkuk is going through the storm, not the physical storm, but the um, loss, grief, suffering, uh, relational fracture, marriage issues, um, partner issues, financial issues, uh, death and dying issues. You name the issue. It's okay. It's whatever issue that you're going through. Um, family therapists, psychologists, children workers will tell you five things are going to happen to you. Can you write these down? And I want to look at those. So we're today, we're talking about today, and then we're going to go back and look at them 2,700 years ago. Same things happen. Number one, when you go through a crisis like Habakkuk is going through this crisis, you feel isolation. Isolation. You are isolated. Do you hear the only me issues that Habakkuk's saying? Like, I'm the only one righteous here. When the reality is there were thousands of righteous people in Israel. He just was so consumed by this. This is the only problem. I'm the only one who has this problem. I remember when I became pastor years ago and went doing counseling, that before I was a senior pastor, when I was associate, did a lot of marriage and family counseling. And um, I love doing it. I just don't have the time to do it over the last few years. And the main thing people would come and go, you know, my problem no one's ever had. 
And we laugh, and I almost would want to laugh in front of them and go, are you serious? You think you're the only one who's had a problem about whatever, a financial, a relational, uh, whatever issue? These are issues that are common to all of us. But we feel this isolation, and when you feel this isolation, it's hard to pull back. Number two, out of isolation comes anger. So in Habakkuk's case, his anger was righteous to start with, but it kind of moved the wrong direction. So you get angry. You are isolated, then you're angry at the situation. And then number three, I'm just telling you what happens. You may skip one of these, or you may hit all of them in a very short time, or you may live in them for weeks and months at a time. And some people never get out of them. Some people feel isolated their whole life. Some people are angry their whole life. But the third one is bargaining. We start to bargain with God. God, get me out of this. Or the positive, get me into that. Now, again, uh, this is kind of honest disclosure. How many of you have ever tried to bargain with God? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's something that we do. I have, I have my hand up. We try to do it. Let me tell you, I'm a very good bargainer. I love to bargain. I'm just good at it. I love it. I don't know, I have something in me that just lets me do it. I just love it. You know, when I'm in other countries and you go to markets and you bargain or you're buying multiple things, I go, never pay what they ask when you're buying a hundred of them. Let's get a bargain. I do that, but that's okay. You want to bargain, bargain. But you can't bargain with God. Just, it can't happen. But we do it. We bargain and we try to do it. I've shared my biggest bargain, uh, and it was a good bargain, I thought, Um, And I've shared this many times, so I'll just give it very quickly. When our son was dying, I bargained with God to take my life and keep his. Oh, isn't that righteous? No, you you don't bargain with God. You just don't bargain. But we love to bargain. And we bargain in relation. Well, if you do this, I'll do that, and we'll get solved and all this. It just leads to more isolation and anger, bargaining. Number three. Four, sorry, isolation, anger, bargaining, and then it leads to despair. It could lead to clinical depression and worse things, but it will lead to despair. We've all seen people that are in despair. I mean, there's people that come to church, and when they walk into that lobby, the barometric pressure goes down. You just feel the air being sucked out because they're in despair because they feel isolated and they're angry at their situation and they don't know what to do with it. And here's the point. The point is it leads to the fifth, and this is the fork in the road. The fork in the road is it will either lead to bitterness, where you go back to isolation, anger, bargaining, and despair, or you got to pull out of it. Acceptance and moving forward from it. It's your choice. I can't choose for you. I've tried to pull people out of this cycle. I have yanked people in every way I possibly can, but it's something that you have to do. It's something that it's between you and God and you and your husband or your wife and you and your close relations that you have got to pull out of it. And I'm telling you, when you do, it's an amazing thing that happens. Now, let's look at how to pull out of it. That's where, now we're going to go back 2,700 years and look at it. Can we do it? And I want to give you four thoughts in this area, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. And these lessons from the storm, and if I could put a title on these four, I would put hope. Hope. 
We talk about faith a lot, and I'll even mention it in a few minutes. We talk about love a lot. We very rarely talk about hope. It takes hope. You have to be, have hope in the future. You have to have hope in what God's doing. You gotta have hope when you can't see the future. You gotta have hope when you just can't see where you're heading. So let's go and see what Habakkuk did in this bringing on of hope, can we? So we're now back 2,700 years into the storyline, chapter two, and the Lord answered me. He didn't say the Lord answered the children of Israel. The Lord answered the whole world. The Lord answered me. It's kind of interesting that this is a, I'm mad at you, but the Lord, this is a very personal letter between Habakkuk and God. It's not Habakkuk acting for all the people like we saw in Micah last week. It is God and and Habakkuk duking it out one-on-one. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. What's he saying? Have hope and write it down. Understand it. And here are the four things that can give you hope. Number one, verse um, one there, write it down. Anticipate that God will work. When he says, take the pen and write it down, what he's saying is, anticipate God will work. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It's important to look at that up the previous verse that I skipped, I will take, verse one, that's why I missed it, sorry. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He says, I'm gonna sit on a watchtower. I am anticipating what God does. Now, is this a real watchtower on the corner of uh, the wall of Jerusalem or is it a metaphorical watchtower that he's just gonna be on watch? I don't know. But are you familiar with watchtowers? So watchtowers, we don't have them in Florida anymore, but they're up in North Carolina and they're out in Colorado. We watch for what? Forest fires. You go to Pisco National Forest if you're up there, it's a beautiful place and you see these watchtowers and the National Forestry people are up there looking for forest issues, right? It's interesting, Boca used to have a watchtower. Does anybody ever remember it? I always, I ask this whenever I say this. Does anybody remember the watchtower in Boca? One, I love it. Two, there it is. Two people remember, three, okay. There was a watchtower at Red Reef Park. Red Reef Park is the beautiful park right on the beach. It was torn down when they built the final parking lot there, but it was there for World War II. What people don't realize is the Germans came to America in World War II. 20 ships were destroyed off the coast of Florida, eight of them off Palm Beach County. They were there, the U-boats, the ships, the planes. My father was 12 years old. He was on the watch, and he took rotation because the older men were all at war. And so he was one of the people, and they had pictures of the planes. They had pictures of the ships. So if you saw the ship, you called on the red phone down to Miami and said, I see picture number two. He didn't even need to know the name of it. 
whether it was a destroyer or whatever, and the, the names, and so they would do this. And just as a little totally sidebar, they came on to land in Boca Raton. They came to a house, Dr. Sanborn's house, which is down by where Palmetto reaches the ocean there. There was a little house there. They came on, they found evidence of it, and then they came to spy the radar base, which is now FAU. So the Germans were in Boca during World War II. So they had a watchtower. He had this watchtower to look at what was going to happen, to anticipate what would happen. Number two, besides anticipating, the second one is we need to wait for God to work. Verse 3, first, chapter 2, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It awaits. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Here's the point, and you all know it. God's time is not our time, and God's ways are not our ways. God is always working. He may not be working in your timetable, but he is working. Our time is slipping away, so let me give you the third one very quickly. Go over to, chapter, to verse 4. And verse 4 tells us, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Number three, have faith that God will work. Have faith that God will work. So anticipate, wait, and have faith that he will work. That passage, but the righteous shall live by faith, and some of yours say the just shall live by faith, that is quoted three times in the New Testament. It's quoted in Hebrews and in Galatians and in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And it keeps going, and it says, because the just shall live by faith. It's the gospel. It's what we were singing a few moments ago. That's the gospel. Christ was born. Christ lived a perfect life. He died, was buried, rose again. And because he lives, we too shall live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's what we believe. And here's the fourth one that is so important. Go back to chapter 1, verse 5. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Sometimes we just need to be silent before God. Silence before God. And that brings me, as we begin to close, to the story of Job. You know the story of Job? Job was a wealthy man. He lost his kids. And then at the end of it, he said this incredible thing, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And we quote that, and we love it, and we think Job, we go, yeah, we high-five Job. That's chapter one and two. There's 41 chapters in Job. Have you read chapter three to 40? Not very faithful here. In fact, there's a fight between Job and God. It is an incredible thing. You gotta read, one and two is great chapters. You gotta read three to 40 to really understand the grappling of Job with God. 
And it is an incredible grappling, which I can't go over. Someday we'll do the, the story of Job, which we can't do today. It actually 42 chapters. But at the end of this grappling, where Job, it literally says that they have a fight twice, two fights, put up your dukes kind of fights. And they're doing this verbal fight back and forth. And here's what it ends up. Then Job answered the Lord. So Job started this problem. The Lord answered. Job said it again. The Lord answered. Job saying, why didn't you do this? Why aren't you doing that? Why did you allow this to happen? And God answered him. That's all those chapters. I can't read them. It'd take a long time. And this is what Job answered. I know, chapter 42, verse 2 of Job, look it up later. I know that you, God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I heard of you by my hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, and he puts his hand on his mouth and says, I retract. It's literally the retracting of his tongue back into his mouth. And I repent. You see, sometimes we are very flippant with God. And every once in a while, we just got to put our hand over our mouth, put our tongue back in our mouth, and close it, and listen to what God is doing in our life. It is amazing what God is doing in our lives. I have seen it in your lives. I have looked at it. I have known you for years. Some of you, I've known you for a generation, some for two generations. And I see the work that God is doing And then something happens and we spout off to God. God is at work. Anticipate it. Wait for it. Have faith in understanding that it's going to happen. And then have belief in it. As we close, I brought up a cross. You've seen, many of you have seen this cross. In fact, we've given away hundreds of these. If you can't see it, it's just, it's made from driftwood and charcoal wood. It was made out of driftwood in Lake Tanganyika, Africa, between Congo and Zambia. It was made by boys that were rescued out of sex slavery. Boys rescued out of sex slavery, excuse me. We, don't, we think that doesn't happen. They've been rescued. Some of our missionary and partners do this, and then they bring them to the Lord, and then they got to educate them, and they've got to, you know, give them skills and grow and do things. It's just an amazing ministry. And so I was there uh, a few years ago, many years ago now, and I saw that. I said, what are you doing with these things? This is so cool, you know, it's just driftwood. And they go, we sell these so we can help buy school uniforms. And over there, you got to pay for school, so school fees and things like that for these kids. And we do it. So I bought a couple of them, brought them home, and then we were going back, and I, I called ahead. I said, I wanted 100 of them. I want a hundred of them so that I could give some away. It was just an amazing thing. I said, I'll buy them. And I didn't bargain, by the way. <laughs> I think I paid more than they asked. 
if God can take a kid out of sex slavery and give him new life and hope, he can do it for you. I'm just telling you, he can do it for you. A good friend of ours in this church who passed away 20 years ago this summer, he and I, just Steve Ross was his name. We used to have a saying, and that saying to each other, we just say it all the time. Most people tiptoe through life only to arrive safely at death. Most people tiptoe through life only to arrive safely at death. And then we would say, safety is overrated. God wants you to do a great work, and he is working in your life to do it. Do not retreat. We do not need retreating Christians and followers of Christ in this country right now. We need people that are moving out and doing what God has called them to do. And we're going to find out what Habakkuk did next week.